Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis in partnership with the Citizens League. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by a generous grant from the Bush Foundation. This Ed Talk is titled How Parent Fundraising Perpetuates Racial Disparities in Minneapolis Public Schools. Our featured speaker is Sarah Spafford Freeman. Sarah is a strategy consultant, longtime public schools volunteer, and co founder of the Minneapolis Public Schools Academics Advocacy Group, a group of parents, teachers, and community members who are working to push Minneapolis Public Schools for greater commitment to and investment in student academic opportunities and outcomes. She serves on the board of the Advancing Equity Coalition and is a former board chair for the Domestic Abuse Project. Sarah has worked in the medical technology industry for 20 years in finance, investment banking, and management roles. Sarah is a community organizer, parent, and author of Apartheid in Minneapolis, Racial Disparities in Five Local Systems. Sarah has extensively studied PTAs and parent fundraising within Minneapolis public schools and argues that current systems perpetuate vast racial disparities. In this Ed Talk, she will share insights and data on how antiquated state funding models, school choice, and segregation have resulted in stark inequities within districts like Minneapolis public schools and the myriad ways parent fundraising contributes to widening these gaps. This virtual Ed Talk was live streamed online on December 8th, 2021. Hello, and thanks for being here. My name is Sarah Spafford Freeman. I'm a strategy consultant, community organizer, and the mom of three kids in Minneapolis Public Schools. My advocacy journey with parent fundraising began with cross-country skis. I'll never forget watching as volunteers unpacked dozens of them in the lobby of our daughter's elementary. I did the math in my head and wondered how in the world a public school had the money for these skis. When I asked that question, I was told the school indeed didn't have the money to buy them, but the PTA did. I'm a part of two Northside school communities, so I knew the struggle being waged in many of the district's buildings. And the dissonance of these two realities in the same city compelled me to ask more questions. I look forward to unpacking some of their answers with you tonight. We'll discuss how K-12 districts are funded, how individual school budgets are impacted by enrollment patterns and segregation, and the stark racial disparities produced by these systems. Finally, we'll discuss how parent fundraising perpetuates them and some better practices to consider. Let's dive in. The vast majority of funding for Minnesota's K-12 schools, nearly 70%, comes from the state of Minnesota, most of it through basic or general education revenue. But Minnesota spending on K-12 schools has barely kept up with inflation for more than 20 years. In fact, general ed funding to MPS was $100 million less in 2019 than it was in 2003 on an inflation-adjusted basis. 
As the state disinvestment has persisted, local taxes have made up a bigger slice of the funding pie. Today, three quarters of Minnesota K-12 districts have active voter-approved levies in place, including Minneapolis. Most state funding for K-12 schools is distributed through general education revenue, and most of that revenue is based on enrollment numbers. General ed formula components haven't changed since 1989 and are weighted heavily towards student numbers, not student needs. Components based on student need make up a small piece of the funding pie. For instance, funding intended for students eligible for free and reduced lunch, called compensatory funding, accounts for only 6% of general ed revenue and funding for English language learner services are an even smaller component of general ed revenue, less than 1%. Revenue totals for ELL and special ed services are capped at a percentage that doesn't mirror district demographics, resulting in what's called a cross-subsidy. This is basically a fancy way of saying it costs more for districts to support these students than the state pays them to do it. The MPS special ed cross-subsidy is estimated at nearly $1,500 per student, and the statewide cross-subsidy for English language learners is more than $100 million. Not surprisingly, district enrollment has dropped significantly during this 20-plus years of state divestment. Enrollment in the 2001 school year was more than 46,000 students. This year, it's less than 30,000. Then we layer current student demographics onto these outdated models. Student demographics and MPS have shifted significantly since the last time K-12 funding formulas were updated. MPS is a global majority district. About 65% of students identify as people of color. But Minneapolis is more than 70% white, highlighting the extent of white flight from the district. Onto this landscape, we layer the forces of racial segregation. We further compound broader district budget challenges by concentrating them in specific schools. Racially isolated school is the term applied to segregated buildings with BIPOC student populations at least 20% greater than the district average, which is 65%. MPS has 21 racially isolated schools meaning the school's student population is more than 85% kids of color. It's worth noting that the designation of racially isolated isn't applied to buildings with high concentrations of white students, though we have plenty of those too. And it's critical to acknowledge that MPS has struggled to desegregate its schools since Brown versus Board. In fact, they're a named defendant in a current segregation-related lawsuit. The district's racially isolated schools have tended to also be its lowest enrolled, thus lowest funded, again, because most MPS funding is based on enrollment. Students eligible for free and reduced lunch, special ed and English language learner services, and those unhoused or experiencing housing instability tend to end up overrepresented in our lowest enrolled schools. And because need-based forms of funding for schools is so limited, these low-enrolled schools face tremendous budget challenges. And all of this, the state disinvestment, use of outdated funding models and unfunded mandates, plus the forces of racial segregation,
have combined to produce one of the nation's highest educational debts. The term educational debt is used here instead of achievement gap because these disparities are the result of the decisions of adults, not the deficits of children. ProPublica's Miseducation Project estimated the academic disparities between black and white MPS students at more than four grade levels, the fourth largest in the US. This educational debt has existed since first being measured, and according to MPS data presented last week, it has grown significantly over the past two years. And while these data are specific to Minneapolis, they're not unique to it. Districts nationwide are struggling with these systems and their challenges. On to this fire of disparate budgets and disparate outcomes, we pour the accelerant of parent fundraising. Data collected from tax returns and public materials of PTAs and parent foundations show that Southwest Minneapolis schools are highest enrolled and whitest in the district, are raising and spending millions of dollars a year. I've heard lots of parents and principals say that these schools must fundraise to make up for not getting Title I funding. I've heard this narrative repeated so often, I named it. I call it the Title I fallacy. But in reality, need-based funding to racially isolated schools is often less than what parents in whiter school communities are raising. In fact, the Southwest High School Foundation and Washburn High School Foundations each raised more than $400,000 the same year North High School got $237,000 in Title I funding. Another common response to pushback on these systems is what I've termed the per-student dollars fallacy. This refers to the fact that because of low enrollment, a school's total budget divided by its number of students produces a higher dollar number per student than it does at schools with higher enrollment. But this is the result of a low denominator, not a reflection of spending power or budget health. In fact, these schools' total spending power on everything from staff to academic programming to extracurricular activities is significantly lower than other schools. And no amount of need-based funding makes up for this disparity. Parent fundraising has privatized important opportunities and experiences in MPS, ensuring that some students at some schools have access to things but conveniently ignoring that others don't. Parent fundraising is paying for everything from staff to teacher training to curricula and athletics and more. At one Minneapolis elementary school, the PTA paid for a differentiated math curriculum. At another, it's paying for teachers to receive specialized literacy professional development called Orton-Gillingham training. At another, the foundation is paying for a staff position. Resource hoarding is an abstract concept, but it produces highly visible results. This fundraising and privatization isn't occurring everywhere. It's happening in roughly a dozen of the city's whitest schools in a district with more than 60 of them. And listen, no public school has enough. I hope I've clearly established that tonight. But some have more than others, and this is predictable by race. 
And that's a fundamental problem deserving of our attention. I focus advocacy on parent fundraising because it's the one variable in this disparity producing formula that we have control over. Parents create these systems and we can change them. Interrogating these systems is a critical first step toward intentional actions to address them. Some questions to consider. What if the time and cultural capital employed by parent groups was used to organize around challenges at the district or state level? What if we spent as much time lobbying for increased K-12 budgets and improved academic outcomes as we did planning PTA fundraisers? What if we asked, do other schools and students have this at PTA and parent foundation meetings? This question is a simple but radical way to disrupt these systems, an especially important role for white allies to play. What if these groups invested in schools where historical disinvestment has occurred? Achieve Minneapolis provides a vehicle for this. But the fundamental question to ask, one first posed by the academic, author, and activist Audre Lorde nearly 50 years ago, is whether we can dismantle the master's house with the master's tools. I think a lot about white philanthropy through the lens of Lord's work and all the ways we too often seek to dismantle systems of oppression and inequity with their very tools. So I want to leave you with her words as we consider the intersection of education and philanthropy. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Thank you. TED Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis in partnership with the Citizens League. Thanks to our generous sponsor, the Bush Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos or listen to audio podcasts, visit achievempls.org.